For February 24th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 295, Neo-Nazi Skinhead Eminem. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Pulling the ripcord in Los Angeles, I'm Matthew Rather, here with the panel uh, to overthink a lineup of topics tonight, including tabletop gaming and game nights and uh, sitcoms that are coming on and shows that you may be binge-watching on Netflix or HBO. Uh, But first, the man, the myth... The co-star, J.K. Simmons, born Jonathan Kimball Simmons in Detroit, Michigan, has been character acting up a storm (laughs) since uh, he first worked uh, IMDb's first record of his work. I'm still scrolling down the page, guys. I'll let you know when I get to the bottom. IMDb. IMDb has 139 credits for it. Really, there is a 1986, but really it's 1994. So almost entirely in the past 20 years, he has acquired 130. That's like a Christopher Lee level of credits at this point. So, of course, so okay, so in 1986, he might have been like a, a one-line part or a walk-on part in, in something. Probably did like a ton of theater between 86 and 94 and made his bones. And then uh, started working in 19... Uh, 1994 and never looked back we say on overthinking it that we like actors who work and this is a guy who <laughs> who who works but like i'm, I'm kind of worried for him like i'm kind of feeling like he needs to take some time off yeah but his velocity only keeps increasing you know yeah. uh I, is that we found the source of dark matter and dark energy in the universe is it jk simmons <laughs> yeah you know when i first realized how ubiquitous jk simmons is is that i was one of my very first uh, sort of video mashup projects was uh the spider house rules where i was combining toby Maguire footage from uh spider-man and the cider house rules and he is in both movies in like a very in a very critical and, and much appreciated cameo as uh charlize theron's uh father in the Cider House Rules, I believe, and uh, and of course as uh, Peter Parker's boss um, in Spider Man. We'll put the link to the Spider House Rules uh, in the show notes for this. And that's why I said it's. <laughs> let's get those. Uh, let's get those YouTube views up. Oh, hey Matt. Speaking of YouTube views, I watched. Uh, I watched Forty Inspirational Speeches again recently, which I do from time to time. You know. Uh, when I'm feeling down or just need a little pick me up in the day, I, I watch it and it, you know, got me through a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sleepy afternoons and amped me up and stuff. And, and, uh, you're, you're edging up on 10 million views on that thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I might have to celebrate by, by actually attempting to execute my long rumored, uh, sequel, 40 more inspirational speeches. Cause I was watching the Lego movie recently and there's a great sort of lampshading of the inspirational speech there that I could use. And you got to figure that the, the, the new 300 movie is going to have another, not necessarily good, but at least they're going to, they're going to try, they're going to swing for that fence. Of, of inspirational speeching, speechifying. What did you use from 300? Is it all the guys going, huh? It is, it is all the guys doing, doing, huh? And also, like, you know, th- th- there is a, there is a version, 
uh, that like occasionally if people if people people do ask for like you know their their uh, sports teams pep rally or their like you know youth ministry or something that they want to copy to show and they wish Hitler wasn't in it uh, that that I I substitute uh, Gerard Butler saying stand and fight for the clip of Charlie Chaplin as the sort of Hitler as dictator um, you know <laughs> giving his even even though of course in the context that scene uh, from the movie The Great Dictator is very very anti Hitler. Um, it's not 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 received that way to the casual viewer nowadays who just see it as as Hitler. And I pretended to be an eighth grade teacher once and request a version that was all Hitler, and Matt would not deliver. <laughs> <laughs> and and for that service, you charge thirty thousand um, dollars. I, I was offered to pay him in in uh, Reichsmarks. <laughs> Kr- yeah. Kruger Rands. The Weimar Republic thing. It, stolen Nazi gold. Gold. <laughs> Monument Men. Uh, is uh, is J.K. Simmons in Monuments Men? Because that would be a perfect. Uh, doesn't look like it. Looking at his no. looking at his thing, that that seems like it would be just a perfect project. I think for... I think that was a clerical error there. I mean, he was, he was on the list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgot to. No Did he get lost in the mine and then the guy from Downton Abbey like tracked him down and like yes. like you stay here, I'll take you, I'll, I'll I'll go get help. And then he was in the movie instead. <laughs> I is like the a voice of the Legend of Korra, which is the what is the. Uh, uh, the uh, what, what's his name? The, the sequel to that show that I never watched at all. Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which has it, it was, at the Rufio guy that I thought was dead, but isn't. <laughs> and and bangerang, bangerang indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So we we uh, J.K. Simmons has a new project coming up, and in honor of this fine actor who works. We're not going to tell you what it is. We're not even going to tell you what the project is. We don't want yeah. you to watch. No, you should watch it. <laughs> who watches uh, Who watches television anymore? We're all binge watching yeah. House of Cards now and watching, <laughs> you know, Judge Dredd the remake fifteen minutes no. at a time on Netflix. <laughs> Are we talking about his new TV show or his five new movies that are all in post production right yeah. now? Like or literally all those farmers commercials that he's that he's in during his own TV show. Right. Oh man, he's the voice of Kampa in an upcoming movie called Tibetan Rock Dog, which just sounds awesome. I don't know about it. Um, yeah, that movie is is such propaganda, such anti Chinese propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his TV series is called Growing Up Fisher, and we might we might talk about it and talk about J.K. Simmons a little bit. I, I will say, on a personal note, that uh, that he he gives me hope that I can have an acting career even after after I've lost all the rest of my hair. Uh, that you know there will still be work for the likes of me. Um, so uh, pr- propose a uh, a J.K. Simmons view. I mean, honestly, guys, the question this week is say something amusing about J.K. Simmons. But uh, he- <laughs> but here's how we're going to operationalize that a little bit. Uh, you can propose a uh, a J.K. Simmons project, film or TV project, in which he plays a role, either a uh, uh, a top line role like he he is in Growing Up Fisher, or an awesome cameo and we're going to allow reboots of previous jk simmons projects uh before provided that they focus more on jk simmons than they did uh previously however you however you interpret that so um give us give us some work for this actor who works this actor whose 2013 credits on imdb span four or five screens and you have to scroll (laughs) down a long way uh give this man uh some more work matt your first in the alphabet 
so two of my very favorite uh, J.K. Simmons projects uh, from the from the late '90s are, of course, he is a he has a recurring role as a, uh, a court uh, psychologist on Law and Order uh, by the name of Doctor Emil Skoda. Uh, he's in a n- number of episodes as like you know when they need somebody to 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 tell McCoy whether somebody's insane or not, uh, but also sort of uh, in a more scenery chewing vein, he plays uh, the character Vern Schillinger. Schillinger on uh, the TV show Oz, which was uh, HBO's first hour-long uh, drama, and it was about it. It was a very, very gritty, perhaps like trying way too hard to be gritty, uh, prison drama. Um, and he plays the head of the neo-Nazi gang. He plays the the leader of the skidheads, um, and one of the the you know in a TV show where everybody is villainous and everybody is sort of sociopathic. He plays one of the most feared and sociopathic of all characters. Um, and so what I'd like to do is is basically uh, do a do a, a TV show that posits that both these characters are uh, real and identical twins. And so it's about the sort of uh, what I would describe as a Silence of the Lambs esque relationship between a court psychologist and uh, his brother who is a, a notable serial killer in jail, and the sort of uneasy sort of procedural. Um, relationship that they have where, where you know, uh, Dr. Emil Skoda is constantly having to go to Oz to consult with Vern Schillinger because of his sort of uh, his, his knowledge of the criminal underworld and criminal psychology. Um, and they're both played by J.K. Simmons and, and um, you know, because I think special effects have risen to that yeah, point. Yeah, no, we, I mean, they- we have Orphan Black now where where one actress plays, you know, half a dozen of the same uh, yeah. parts that, that look all the same. And we had the paratrap with Lizzie Lohan, um, <laughs> you know, a long time ago. And then before that, the paratrap from the 60s, not with Lizzie Lohan. I was thinking that if you wanted to go a lot lighter, it could be a sitcom where they move in together, you know, where they share oh, an yeah. apartment. Uh, they share an apartment in New York somewhere, and it's like, he's a court psychiatrist, and he's a, a sociopathic killer neo-Nazi skinhead. skinhead. Hijinks ensue. This, you know, I don't know, this fall, J.K. Simmons and J.K. Simmons in J.K., brother. You know, or- you know what you need? You know what you need? You need, like, a, a quirky business that glues them together. Like, they run a bowling alley a la Ed... Or they they're opening up some you know like a Bob's Burgers that you need like a, a a conceit that that glues them together. So I don't know what it is that they're sort of combining their skills. Like maybe maybe they're running like a bail bondsman organization, which gives you like a good sort of like guest star of the week uh, excuse that there are constantly people coming in and asking for you know it's sort of a night court esque. Um, where there's always some like hard luck, uh, you know, guest star that's coming in, or else they're they're like you know one of the J.K. Simmonses is sort of like taking in the business, and the other is going after the people who don't pay up. What if it yeah, or what if it were a therapy practice, and you never knew which J.K. Simmons you were going to get—the one who was going to patiently counsel you through all of your problems, or the one that was going to go out and hates Jews, you know, kill you. (laughs) How how long is it going to take you to figure that one out? Hey, hey, Matt, I would like a version of the 40-year inspirational speeches video where you edit out Adolf Hitler and then you add in neo-Nazi skinhead J.K. Simmons. Can you do that? How much will that cost? I'm pretty sure we'll talk about it offline. I'm pretty sure I may have already done that. You have to to do it in Kruger Enzo. Pete Fenzel, you're next in the alphabet. Hey, you guys, did you remember J.K. Simmons' Super Bowl ad? You probably didn't. 
Did no. you? Well, did it, was he selling insurance? Oh, no. He was tranked, bound, and gagged, and thrown in the trunk of a car. Because you may not know this, but our own beloved J.K. Simmons is the voice of the yellow M&M in the M&M's commercials. Uh-huh. Which blew my mind when I read that. Uh, he's been it for years. He has done multiple Eminem-related straight-to-video movie properties, um, including Eminem's The Lost Formulas, which was a video game. And uh, well, what else did he play as Yellow Peanut? Yellow Peanut on IMDb is sadly not like a clickable role so that you can scroll through his different... Uh, his different roles as it. But, uh, oh yeah, or I Lost My M in Vegas, which is a short film he was in in 1999. I don't really know how that qualifies as a short. It's an animated 3D stereoscopic film in theater 4D interactive effects. You can see it in Las Vegas at the M&M World Store on the Strip. So yeah, so J.K. Simmons is the voice of the yellow M&M, a character who I think has been underexplored. He's the Luigi of the candy world, and I've always been a Luigi fan at heart. Wait, is the yellow M&M the peanut M&M? Yes. Is there a, but there could theoretically be a non uh, peanut version of the yellow M and M, which is yes. the neo Nazi skinhead. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about it is that J.K. Simmons refused to play any other M and M because he felt as an actor the added texture of the peanut was necessary in order to make the, <laughs> the role challenging enough for him, so that he could communicate the layers. He wasn't interested in just the candy shell and the, and the chocolate in the middle. He wanted that hard tree seed to to provide that extra bit of, of boost and complexity and texture. But yeah, you know, so so <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but my favorite on screen moment of the yellow M and M is uh, is the commercial where the M&M's meet Santa Claus. And uh, they, the red M&M is really skeptical that Santa Claus doesn't exist. And he sees Santa Claus and he freaks out. But then Santa Claus sees the M&M's and he freaks out. And then Santa Claus passes out. Right, and so this opens up a whole bunch of questions about like what Santa Claus believes is real. Like, like does Santa is Santa Claus a skeptic? <laughs> like, does Santa Claus is Santa Claus? If you were Santa Claus, would you be more or less likely to believe in other kinds of magic in addition to yourself if you had not personally encountered them? Uh, because the idea that Santa, when encountering J.K. Simmons as the Yellow M and M, cannot handle what is going on and literally just like brain shuts down and collapses on the ground in the middle of Christmas in a family's living room, right on Christmas. Eve, but potentially right. threatening billions of presents. And of course, the yellow M&M says, Santa? In his, now, when you think about it, oh yeah, that deep voice, right? That, that question that is usually reserved for Beecher in the shower, right? Like, Santa? You know, is, uh, is uh, J.K. Simmons right there. So I would propose a movie where we for more further explore this, where like the yellow M&M it's kind of thrust into situations where he challenges skepticism in general. Uh, or maybe specifically, maybe we make the Eminem ride shotgun with Matthew McConaughey's character from True Detective, who's like a very hard-nosed <laughs> HBO show, very hard-nosed skeptic, doesn't believe in anything, doesn't believe in the self or identity, and goes on big rants about the construction of, of human experience. Uh, but what would happen if he were to meet an Eminem? Or what if, what if like, he, the yellow Eminem were to team up with like the A-Team or Jack Bauer or some other action-adventure thing? I just... I I don't know. I want to see. Maybe it needs to be more of like a Garden State kind of thing, where the Eminem meets like a manic pixie stick dream girl. And <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is that in between his playing of all these other things, uh, we need to give that candy some time because um, it melts. 
It melts in your heart, not in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, now that we live in this post-Lego uh, movie world, I'm kind, of sh- I'm kind of shocked, right? No, we, we have gone from the post-9-11 world into a post-Lego movie world. Uh, I'm kind of Never shocked forget. that an Eminem movie hasn't already been made now, right? Oh, I mean, well, now the Lego movie has opened up the door for uh, feature-length commercials that people will pay 15 bucks to go see. It seems like an Eminem movie is practically inevitable, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Lego Legos do lend themselves fairly well to a to a movie about sort of creativity and and worlds colliding and all that. Whereas I don't know what the Eminem movie is about besides what we just talked about. Also, it's about the Eminem right. Santa Claus. <laughs> right, it's about the detective. Um, I mean, the weird thing about Eminem is that they always skirt around this in their their commercials in a very interesting way. Is that like uh, people eat Eminems, right? People eat them <laughs> and and kill them. Um, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and that that like one of one of the sort of uh, the M M&M and M commercials that's on the air is, is sort of the red M M&M, and M, which is sort of the John Lovitz M M&M, and M, is uh, at a party, and um, somebody warns the green female M M&M and M that there is a character who particularly likes to eat M M&M and Ms, and then the green female M M&M and M promptly pairs off John Lovitz with that with that woman, uh, which is, there's no other way to read it besides the fact that she wants him dead. <laughs> Um, and it's it's kind of disturbing, and I'm not sure if it makes you want to buy M and M's. Oh man, I guess because it's about uh, so the, when you're thinking of M M&M and M as the product, as communicated to you by M M&M and M commercials, do you think of the green M M&M and M as part of the product that is being sold to you? I tend to think of the green M M&M and M as more of an ancillary character, and that the actual buying of M and M's is based on your feelings about the red and yellow M and M's. Right, um, because and the green M M&M, and M, I guess, playing as a foil to them. It's interesting that it's also an M M&M, and M, right? That it's not something else. That there's that the M that the enemy yeah. that there's actually strife within the bag that you're holding in your fist. That like the M and Ms themselves hate each other and want each other murdered. But, <laughs> but Although, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd also like to point out that the fact that they they had to pick an M M&M and M to make female and they picked the green one is. It's, it's, I don't know if it, if it counts as mildly sexist, but of course there's a long-standing urban legend since – I'm looking at Snopes right now since the 1970s that the green M&Ms are aphrodisiacs. Yes. So that there is sort of like making making the green M&M female is sort of like – because like green M&Ms are sexy and sexed up. I believe the green M&M also wears heels – Right, yes. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm like looking at the green M M&M and M now, which I usually do on Sunday nights. <laughs> right, um, I'm just looking at my wallpaper of my computer. <laughs> she has a moosh. She's clearly wearing fake eyelashes and some sort of a really, really ridiculous lip balm of sorts. Uh, of course, they're all wearing white gloves, but hers seem daintier than most. Yeah, yeah and she's got these these. Uh, these like princess shoes. None of the other M and M's are dressed up at all. Like they're not even business casual, and she's like clearly dressed to the nines. Yeah. Although uh, I, I did not realize this, but apparently the the brown M M&M and M is more of like a like a Velma from Scooby Doo, sort of like a nerdy hot female M M&M, and M because she's got the glasses. Right. I'm seeing that right now. She's even got higher heels. She's got longer legs too. So she's also got kind of a secretarial kind of Maggie Gyllenhaal kind of thing going on. But none of these M&Ms are James Spader. All the dudes M&Ms are jerkbags, except for the yellow one, who's the protagonist. And we follow his, uh, we follow his journey uh, unknowingly through various sorts of abuse. No, the red one's the protagonist. <laughs> I don't and I then through, through the abuse of the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. But are we to understand that the M&Ms are supposed to be consumed by men because the binary sexual other that we're supposed to be consuming is the woman? Right? Like, is that because there's no sexy male M&M that you eat, right? 
Um, yes. No. Right. Absolutely. The whole the whole thing is sort of uh, you know film as male gaze, Laura Mulvey uh, yeah. sort of stuff. You know. Get your- no, it is. It is interesting now that you mention it. I've, I can recall at least two, perhaps even three M M&M and M commercials, which sort of make this equation with like the sort of like eating the M&M and sort of like having a romantic relationship with the M&M and that there's, there's like a woman who's like ooh I could just eat you alive and then it, it becomes this sort of threatening thing uh, where she's like you know over 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 attached girlfriend right right yeah. <laughs> and as, you know as Freud taught us right like fears are are often simultaneously wishes so to be devoured by the you know the giant lips of the woman uh, with the sexy voice is a simultaneously feared and passionately longed for yeah. consummation uh, you know to die yeah. masticated in those you know perfect uh, set of veneers on her teeth yeah. and and of course I don't need to point out that it would be it would be unthinkable to have a, a commercial where the green M&M is menaced by like you know Patrick Warburton or something <laughs> can, can, is it safe to say that the M&M melts in your Thanos but not in your Eros <laughs> <laughs> not gonna top that let's move on Mark Lee hey, and guys I'm fine if the whole podcast is just the question just of the GK week that's, yeah, that's, that's, I, I mean no we don't even have to finish the question for the next <laughs> <laughs> 40 minutes. Okay, here, here's what I got. Uh, J.K. Simmons is going to team up with Lal Crawley, who is a cinematographer who's most, most recently known for his work in Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. He's going to come out from behind the camera and be in front of the camera, and this movie, of course, will be called J.K. Lal, right? Um, and uh. wait for the sequel, wait for the sequel, right, in which um, J.K. Rowling joins J.K. Simmons and uh, Lal Smith, who is credited as transportation department for a variety of movies, including uh, X-Men First Class, um, will also step out from behind the camera, from behind the scenes. Wait, wait, wait. For, for J.K. Law, uh, Superscript 2, J.K. Law Squared. So there's a guy named Lol. So you looked up on IMDb anyone named Lol, and you found a guy who drove like the tram, like that that gave, brought people to the set in like one of these movies, or like that drove a bus or a truck or something. Yeah, transported people around. Yeah, and I mean, hey, 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 like people come to the overthinking podcast for quality wordplay, and those are the very great lengths that I went. <laughs> that is exactly where they come. <laughs> You're not owning what is what is. Like a, a considerably significant finding this is that we found the transportation manager from X-Men First Class. Uh, like, what else has he done? <laughs> like, what is his, I wonder what his life is like. He's, yeah, he's credited as transportation department for uh, World War Z also. Uh, oh, wow. Don't, Pete, don't, don't diss the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. You know? Oh, good God, no. That's like the biggest mistake I could possibly make. <laughs> you'll never work again in improv or anything else. So, yeah, good. You'll, you'll never get to work for free in this town again. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. So, Matt, tell me, what would the, transport, the, the transportation, what would someone in his position do on a movie set? Someone like well, that. Well, well, yeah, so someone like that, like, when you're on location, very often there is a base camp or a staging area where uh, the trailers are and where the production offices are and where, like, wardrobe is because they need three tractor trailers that are just full of clothes to put on the actors and the extras and stuff like that. And then the actual location, um, you know, it's the, the location is chosen for its uh, meeting the needs of the film and not for its being capacious and being able to... Uh, accommodate a small a small army so you need to get hundreds of people very often from base camp to the location and that is you know that is very often done by uh 
by you know a kind of tram right like that goes that goes back and forth that runs a circuit from the uh, from the base camp to the location and stuff like that and those are those are uh, union jobs right those that's the international brotherhood of, of teamsters doing transpo um, and also I mean by the way driving the trucks that got everything to the location in the in the first place right like because those three semi tractor trailers don't just simultaneously simultaneously materialize on the uh, on the enormous parking lot or like fairground or whatever that you're using as a as a staging area um, uh, you know also they they are badass mofos the teamsters and they they will mess you up if you cross them so don't you know just big respect to my brothers in yeah. uh, and solidarity to my brothers in the international brotherhood of, of teamsters and what, one interesting thing about lol smith this guy that marks brought up he's he's in the uk he's based in the uk Right, because that because World War Z and X Men First Class were both shot there, and I'm looking at it now, and he's he's doing the driving for a movie called Mr. Turner. He's he's he's. It looks like he appears to have moved up from being a unit driver to coordinating transportation to being the transportation manager for very large production, right in uh, in World War Z, and now he appears to be the personal driver for producers and stars in UK movies. Like he's, I he's that's per- like a step down, right? From like managing transportation at a massive scale to just like waiting, waiting for Hugh Grant to like you know finish, finish picking up his. I don't know what it is. I'm trying to come up with a typical Hugh Grant errand, and I I can't even imagine what his, his lifestyle is like. Transvestite prostitute. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess, guess the, there's your joke from 1994. Woohoo! Nailed it. It was yeah. either going to be that or, or something about you two can take over the Tonight Show. <laughs> <laughs> can't make this stuff up. Can't make this stuff up. Um, but I, that was what I was thinking: is that it looked like our buddy Lol, who is already a friend of the podcast, Lol Smith. <laughs> and and um, by the way, if anyone knows Lol Smith, or if anyone wants to reach out to his people, we would love to have him on the podcast. And Min Milano's Min Milano's are extended to him. We would love to get him to go to the motorcycle museum for the guy who was the second unit director on Terminator Two and the motorcycle stunt guy on Grease. Mark finds all the coolest people who drive stuff. Like seriously. <laughs> Oh, oh, that guy's name was I'm, – I'm, I'm blanking on it. But, yeah, look, look up um, Grease 2 Terminator 2 on the internet if you want to read something crazy and hilarious that I found. <laughs> the Grease 2 Terminator 2 because he, he, uh, he also responded to you, right, that guy? Also that, yeah, amazing. Just, I want to make sure I get his name so that he gets in there. Gary Davis because yes, he was a thank cool you, thank you. He's a cool dude. And he has a motorcycle museum, uh, and he did all the motorcycles for Terminator 2, and that's awesome. Nice. Anyway. Um, so mine, uh, I, I mean, I had two ideas. One was that the, uh, one was to also do an Emil Skoda thing that was just along the lines of, um, uh, in treatment, the HBO show that was this, you know, sort of interminably long, uh, uh, each episode was one session of psychoanalysis, uh, or, or of psychotherapy, I guess with, with, uh, with one patient and, and that was all that happened in in the episode that it could be after all the the murder of the week antics of law and order it could be uh just this this sort of extremely protracted uh kind of longitudinal in time record of dr emil skoda treating you know uh for trauma uh the the 
a character from from Law and Order that he only interacted with tangentially on the show, but they could really delve into their their relationship. But but Matt uh, took that one, so I scrambled and I, I came up with a uh, a candid camera like or a uh, a Jamie Kennedy experiment like or punked like um, prank show uh, called JK. Right. And ah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's J slash K, you know, and, uh, you know, um, some terrible prank happens to you and uh, the uh, and and then, you know, you collapse in tears and J.K. Simmons walks out and it, it is sort of gruffly understanding and and, you know, tells you homespun wisdom and, uh, you know, gives you a couple of, of nice middle American bromides uh, in his, you know, ch- charming and likable, slightly gruff, but with a soft nougaty center uh, uh, midwestern American, traditional American way mm. sounds that sounds nice. delicious yeah it's yeah. <laughs> like a candy theme podcast yeah you, you, you fell off when I said nougat didn't you I just started going nougat nougat I feel like I should know this what is the actual composition of nougat versus like let's say caramel Oh gosh, I don't even know. Should we look this up? Is yeah, this something yeah, I mean, we're gonna have to. Now? We're gonna have to go down that rabbit hole, delicious, <laughs> sticky rabbit hole. I'm sure that whatever they call nougat in things like Three Musketeer bars is not what the word originally refers to. Oh god, like how, no! Uh, yeah, it's yeah. totally different. It's got like pistachios in it. Yeah, it appears to be a nut cake. cake. Yes, it's Latin for nux nux gatum, meaning nut cake. Is where it comes from. Yeah, it's like a yeah. granola bar before granola was invented. Exactly, and now it has um, become a fluffy chemical awesomeness, uh, as it were. As it- By the way, Pete, I just learned something uh, about uh, J.K. Simmons that I-, I need to share with you right away. Uh, J.K. Simmons was in a little movie uh, that you may you may remember called Hidalgo. I know that was <laughs> one of my backups. I actually have a window open right now. Uh, on my on my computer from a a, uh, a Yahoo Answers question from four years ago, which said, "Is there a Hidalgo two? And the, the answer is, uh, "Don't believe so." And that's the only response. But yeah, no, he was Buffalo Bill Cody in Hidalgo, or as I like to call it, Hidalgo. Hidalgo, uh, because that was a movie that movie phone was still a thing then. Like you would call on a telephone, and they would tell you what times the movies were, and it would go uh, rated PG thirteen. Hidalgo. Uh, but yeah, which is a great movie. If you if you like if you like the really hardcore exoticization of Native Americans, like Pocahontas and or Avatar level exoticization of Native <laughs> Americans, like they have magical powers and can win horse races, then especially ones in Arabia, uh, then you want to see Hidalgo. Right. It's a great Omar Sharif movie. It's a stellar Viggo Mortensen movie. It's like a really 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 good horse movie, and it's one of the best horses running on sand movies that there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and J.K. Simmons has a great mustache in it. So, I mean, that's not something – that shows range. That's range. I mean, he has a variety of awesome mustaches over the course of his career. But this particular awesome mustache is different from several of his other awesome mustaches that he has. So, yes, so, Hidalgo. 
We we brought up J.K. Simmons because he has a, a sitcom coming out, and and you know Matt had brought this to our attention originally. Matt, was there anything that we haven't uh, beaten to death yet that you wanted to talk about about J.K. Simmons about, and his oh, uh, let me see. and his sitcom? I mean, he, he his commercials could conceivably appear. Uh, while his sitcom is playing, and I don't know, do you think that that creates a um, like a meta universe? I don't. The only other time I can recall that perhaps happening is I feel like um, like uh, what's his name? I, I keep wanting to call him Pedro Serrano from Major League. Uh, may have may have been doing um, Allstate commercials uh, during uh, the unit. Uh, you, you may know him better as David Palmer from a uh, Twenty Four, mm. right? Yeah, but yep. Serrano want to bet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what about uh, Alec Baldwin? He's doing uh, Capital One commercials while oh, Thirty Rock was on the air. True. I think actually they might have started as Thirty Rock was ending. Um, but anyway, should we tell the folks what this uh, J.K. Uh, Simmons show on NBC is all about and why it's kind of amusing? Sure. Nah. I'm saying yes, even though I'm not in charge. No, we shouldn't. We should skip it. We should just totally skip it. I, I'm not in charge either. I mean, I this is like Oz, you know? I may be the neo-Nazi skinhead. With, no, sorry, that, that really went to a bad place. By, by the way, one of, my other, one of my other ideas was to have uh, a, a miniseries where you actually get to watch the production of Macbeth in its fall that happens during the series finale of Oz, where all of the different like protagonists and antagonists all have like parts in the prison theater production of Macbeth, where they decide to use real shivs and um, t- for these stabbings, uh, and, and you, because I, I felt like the Shakespeare was really shortchanged uh, in that final episode because of the the. Well, I don't want to spoil the rest of the thing, but you've had like freaking fifteen years. For God's sake, watch the show. Jesus, actually, don't. It's really disturbing. You won't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> at, at this point, I think we should just like withhold the crucial information about this NBC show. It's the very end of the podcast. <laughs> Look, yeah. it's coming up. We just go <laughs> off in different directions. Yeah, if you want to find out about what J.K. Simmons is doing, you don't get off that easy. You have to listen to us talk about other things, and then we'll come back to it when you least expect it. When you least expect it. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Wow. He recorded. I'm, I'm just looking at like J.K. Simmons' massive, crazy body of work. Um, he gains a lot of uh, sort of uh, bonus points in my book for playing a, a role early in his career in the much beloved uh, Nickelodeon show, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Yeah, uh, I am. He's been in basically all the Jason Reitman show uh, movies, including uh, Juno, Up in the Air, Thank You for Smoking, uh, Jennifer's Body, which nobody watched, and, and the, the most recent uh, movie, Labor Day, he is also in. Um, he was in I Love You Man as Paul Rudd's father, which I don't really see the resemblance, but whatever. I mean, he voiced both J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man in the TV – oh, is it the TV uh, – Lego Marvel Superheroes Maximum Overload. I feel like that has to be a typo. There has to be some sort of typo here because there's two listings on IMDb for Lego Marvel Superheroes Maximum Overload where Lego is capitalized and a colon, and then the next one where it isn't capitalized. One of them's a TV movie. One of them's a TV series. And one of them, J.K. Simmons voices J. Jonah Jameson. And then the other one, he voices Spider-Man. Um, the, this full five-episode animated special so I'm wondering whether these are these the same show. Um, yeah, I don't really buy him as Spider-Man, so I do wonder if there's some some IMDb typo. I'm deep graffiti. Somebody call Law. Uh, Law needs to get on this. Law is uh, Law yeah. is a vigilante. He he fixes things. The Teamsters can fix your problems, people. That is something that they can do. So Law can get on yeah. this. That's a real I don't know like uh, Teamster solution to a. Um, 
there's no union that covers like the the, the data entry uh, monkeys that power the internet. What but, are you, you know, kidding? That clerical, clerical, and technical workers. You know that the definite didn't they go on strike while we were in college? And uh, you're right. There are unions that cover clerical and technical workers, but I guess like the people who run uh, IMDb are in fact unpaid, just you know, regular people of the internet, right? Since a lot of it's crowdsourced. So, like, um, like hey, those, said, those like folks said, should unionize. You'll never, you'll never uh, work for free in this town again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the person who made this horrible mistake on IMDb is going to be blacklisted. <laughs> Can Speaking we, uh, about being, what, what is it? What oh, are you saying? No, no, no. Go if you have it. Go because I was no, just gonna. I was I'm gonna still keep marveling di- at at, at Jackie Simmons' resume. So he provided a, a voice for the, uh, the the remake of the Pound Puppies TV show, which I have I have residual memories of from the '80s. And then I'm most most uh, uh, interestingly, he just re- recently recorded an audio book for what I assumed is a parody title, but apparently it's a real book. Tom Clancy's Net Force Point of Impact. <laughs> <laughs> is the name of the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really know of anyone who could have played Ralph Earnhardt in the in the three the Dale Earnhardt story quite the same way that J.K. Which <laughs> presumably is Dale Earnhardt's father. I don't probably that would make sense. Uncle, some sort of cousin, some sort of relative to Dale Earnhardt. It's gotten a limb here. Oh um, man. So, okay, so I wanted to, to, to change the topic really abruptly, but Matt, feel free throughout our wandering from topic to topic to jump in with additional facts and features of, uh, of J.K. Simmons' illustrious career, because I feel like his spirit is with us. There, there are plenty forward. more to jump in with. So. <laughs> Excellent. Like, age, like Hulk Agents of Smash, the, uh, the Marvel cartoon thing he worked on, um, the Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack, the TV series yeah. where he played Poseidon. In, um, in 1992, he appeared appeared on Broadway in the revival of Guys and Dolls as Benny Street. Oh, man. Spectacular, spectacular. But anyway, <laughs> I wanted to talk about a schism that is tearing our world apart, that is tearing the world of sort of settled down people in their 30s apart. I'm uh, <laughs> talking about – I want to talk about board games. I want to talk about board games for a little bit. We've talked about board games before. But I wanted to toss out this uh, phenomenon I've been encountering, and I, I've probably mentioned on the podcast a couple times, but it seemed like a good time as any to readdress it. Which is, I really feel like, in my experience, game nights, like social sessions around board gaming, are really coalescing into two centers of gravity. And it's getting to the point where you kind of, it's becoming harder to transition from one of these centers of gravity into the other center of gravity in a game night. Uh, And one of the centers of gravity is around Settlers of Catan and sort of similar Settlers of Catan type games, strategic games, games with a lot of setup, European games, uh, all that sort of stuff. And then the other side is really Cards Against Humanity, which has been this rising force, right? And I know, Matt, you had been expressing some stuff about Cards Against Humanity in the discussion beforehand. I mean, over this particular Christmas season, uh, Cards Against Humanity really exploded. I mean, literally just blew up and is on fire and is like burning down the orphanage. But no, they they Mm -hmm. did a thing where they like temporarily increased their price as a special promotion and then their sales went up as a result, which just like destroyed a whole bunch of economic (laughs) graduate theses. That's that's the invisible hand smacking you in the face. (laughs) But yeah, I think they they sold out through the holidays. You know, it's seems like everybody and their brother has a copy of Cards Against Humanity right, right now. If, if um, you don't know what Cards Against Humanity is, it's basically how Family Guy is written. 
it's like it's like a bunch of sort of mildly obscene things and a bunch of sort of like pop culture references um and you sort of mash them up and giggle well it's a variant of apples to apples is is the first thing to yes. say cards against humanity it is it is a it is derived from apples to apples which is a slightly older or much older i don't know party game where you try to match up nouns with adjectives or like qualities right there's some there's a descriptor and then everybody in the group has like a bunch of cards and you try to pick the thing that you think the descriptor best applies to in the mind of the person currently judging the round and this judge position rotates so over the course of the game different people around the circle are being the sort of tyrants to decide whose matches are the best it's a social game. You playing it to win is kind of dubious because, you know, if you really are wanting to be strategic, then the judge can kind of control the outcome. So it's definitely a party game and uh what people were sort of realizing is the few the few apples to apples cards that were really inappropriate, people always really loved and always won. And so they, somebody just made a – and we could do more research, but why would we do that? You know what? By research, I mean look at the Wikipedia page. But you know, they decided to make an apples to apples game that was all inappropriate things. But you guys all know that because you all have Cards Against Humanity. You all own it already, and you're all inviting people over to your houses to play it. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like – it's a lot of racism. It's a lot of like casual racism. Um, I don't want to bash it too much. It's sort of ironic, casual racism that may or may not be ironic. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And also there's a lot of some old-timey hateful stuff. Uh, as much more against I'm not against Cards Against Humanity uh, in, except insofar as much as I am in favor of the other kind of game night so I am like really really biased and I'm going to totally like Sean Hannity Cards Against Humanity if left to my own devices <laughs> just like slander it for no other reason well, than hey, it like Pete, don't for, me. God, but, don't, for, don't forelight your friends Pete come on this is you know i don't know i like uh i i had a a a couple like nice christmas parties at the first one i enjoyed cards against humanity at the second one i kind of enjoyed cards against humanity and then like it was kind of like okay i've like you know i i understand right this is not a category of joke that gets funny you know yes yes that, I think that's that, a great way of putting it. That gets that gets funnier, right? The the non sequitur joke um uh has a has a very has a very rapidly approaching point of diminishing returns is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel like cuz I've also played I love Cards Against Humanity the first time I played it and the second time I played it and the third time I played it. And now I've played it a whole bunch of times and I feel like for me it's starting to wane, but I feel like because I was somewhat of an earlier-ish adopter, like my point of waning enjoyment of Cards Against Humanity is coinciding with its like waxing popularity. So, and this is like oh wow! So you liked you liked Cards Against Humanity before it was cool, Pete? Is that what you're saying? I I, I was trying to avoid it, but you're yes, and I will I will show my <laughs> yeah. I will button up my plaid shirt and show myself out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh, Pete, man. I think maybe a good sign that like Cards Against Humanity has reached some sort of shark jumping point is that they they have a number of expansion sets. The most recent of which is called uh, House of Cards Against Humanity, which is in fact <laughs> a Netflix market. This is a real thing. Oh, um, wow. And to to their credit, it says on the on the House of Cards Against Humanity webpage, uh, dear internet person, last month somebody in the Netflix marketing department had an epiphany. House of Cards and Cards Against Humanity both contain the word cards. When we got a phone call from Netflix, we enthusiastically agreed that the two products indeed contain the word cards. Uh, the webpage also says that the, the expansion set is completely sold out. 
<laughs> so did they not, actually make it? Is it just a no? Joke? It's it's real, and you could buy. No, no, no it's it's legit. Um, it's although though it was it was apparently free that you would sign up and they would send them to you. We could uh, we could download uh, printable cards. I mean, it's kind of a brilliant marketing scheme. In fact, like every TV show should have like a uh, you know like a, like a Cards Against Humanity sort of like a bunch of sort of snide, um, you know, like like. Uh, you know, like Sherlock could have like uh, Cards Against Humanity cards, like making fun of like his coat, and like you know just Benedict Cumberbatch's name. And I don't know. know. I like think that. I think every white card in Card Against Humanity should just say J.K. Simmons. <laughs> okay, here's, <laughs> some example, high, right? here's uh, some examples of House of Cards Against Humanity white cards: uh, punching a congressman in the face, uh, <laughs> my constituents, a childless marriage. Uh, uh, this is a little PG thirteen here. Uh, forcing a hand job on a dying man. Ooh, did that happen at House of Cards? Oh that God! Spoiler, spoiler, yes. spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Oh, sorry guys. Okay, uh, black cards. Um, I can't believe Netflix is using blank to promote House of Cards. Uh, I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I despise blank. There, I okay. said it. Um, yeah. Cool, cool. Like, yeah. We're not like other news organizations here at Slugline. We welcome Blake in the office. J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Here at Slugline, we welcome J.K. Simmons in the office. See, I like this. I admire this. I like that the people against Cards Against Humanity are really enthusiastically doing what they can to sort of get their product out there and come up with new ideas to promote it that seem like fun and crazy and nice and and great and positive and like they don't they don't seem like every time the product is released it has to be the be all end all awesomest thing in the world so i kind of feel bad that i've kind of gotten a little bit tired of it um so okay so in defense of cards against humanity um pete i I totally hear i can understand why you in particular are tired of it um but let, let me uh say some things in its defense like why uh, other people maybe do not get tired of it and why people still continue to enjoy it uh compared to the other types of board games we've been talking about like um settlers of Catan or um or ticket to ride or even something like more quotidian like uh scrabble right um which is that uh more than four people can play it which is a really important part of this doesn't require a lot of setup doesn't require a lot of concentration uh, has a very uh, shallow learning curve, very uh, not steep. What's the opposite of steep? Uh, and not a difficult learning curve to overcome, right? Like it, it, it is a um, much more, uh, it, it is a more adept vehicle for social interaction at these quote unquote game night events than something like a Sellers of Catan, right? Which, which uh, is in some ways anti social. It, 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 it uh, blocks people off with its rules and with its limit on four players. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I rely on the rules of games to provide structures so that I can numb my emotional difficulty in social situations. Oh, I mean, right? that's what you're going for, sure. You know, like I, got, also, I have some, I have some grain that I would like to trade you, Pete. Do you have any oh, sheep? Wait, wait, hold on. Let me measure. Let me look. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I gotta look at the board. How many would I trade for? How many ports? How many would I trade for? Uh, do I like? I'm scared of what Mark thinks of me. Okay, I'll give him his grain. Okay, or sheep. Thanks, Pete. Now yeah, I'm gonna yeah. buy a resource card and win the game. You were the one who knew how to play when we started. This isn't fair. <laughs> that is a phenomenon in the other kind of game night that I encountered recently. Because we had a big Game of Thrones game night, and Game of Thrones is the most freaking complicated freaking game in the world. Of course it, it is, right? How if it weren't, that would be a, a horrible right. disappointment. It's, it's actually it should be re- sort of like unwinnable as well, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Is that you? It should be revealed 
three quarters of the way through the game that like the outcome of the game is meaningless and that in fact you've been playing the wrong game the whole time and the dice trying to kill you right Right, like 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 the red woman is gonna light the dice on fire right as you're about to win exactly but no the game is sort of like it's like diplomacy but with a whole bunch of other layers because diplomacy wasn't complicated enough but yeah it's like it's like because it's um it's a it's a support based combat strategy game where you have to depend upon allies to support you into various territories in a very slow version of risk um and of course like i had a, yeah, an afternoon session where people came over and we played it and it took like six hours <laughs> because if uh, risk if risk had a weak weakness it was the speed of play yeah <laughs> I mean, we say all these things that we we hate and we love. These things do not exclude one another. But yeah, we had a great game day, and it was a lot of fun, and it lasted for like four or five hours that we were playing this game. And of course, the guy who won was the guy who knew how to play the game before we got together, and he taught us all how to play and then won, uh, which is, I think, fair. It's fine. You know, it was nice of him to teach us all how to play and then beat us, um, which was stellar. But yeah, everybody had a grand old time. But yeah, but it was like, I just remember being invited to a bunch of other game nights with people and it being, I mean, sort of wondering whether it was going to be like a Carcassonne game night or even like a guillotine game night, which was a fun card game I played once. Um, and there were like other kinds of funny, or whether it's going to be like a, another, uh, everybody's, you know, drinking three, four glasses of wine and playing like the easiest game we can possibly find kind of night, which I don't want to seem to look down on, but I guess the, that kind of stuff was, maybe it's because I get a little bit uncomfortable when I drink a lot. It doesn't make me the happiest guy in the world. So maybe that's it, or I don't know. I mean, do you guys ever run into this issue where you like, you see a game night kind of going <laughs> in one direction, we, kind mean, of one direction? Where we drink a lot and don't feel great about ourselves afterwards? Uh, well, yeah, and then when you accidentally do this in a situation where you were supposed to be having fun, <laughs> I guess that's really the most likely yeah. scenario to happen. Well, I mean, maybe what some of what you're getting at is that, like, there are, there are games that sort of appeal to the left brain and games that appeal to the right brain, right? Games that are, like, pure strategy, and, and your best, you know, if, if you're playing it to your utmost, you want to, like, lock yourself off from, like, socialization, right? And merely just focus on, like, the strategy and, like, count cards and all that jazz. And there are other games that are, like, a pure exercise and, like, creativity and thinking on your feet and and that like you know the the people uh, let's say with like you know semi-professional improv training or like you know a performance <laughs> background are always going to shine and other people who are not so extroverted are probably going to feel mildly uncomfortable and are going to like get a little nervous when it's their turn to get up there and like you know do do charades or or whatever it is um and so that. And, and it's difficult to find a game that appeals to everybody, unless that like you know you you've uh, self associated because like you're all of a similar personality type or a similar level of outgoingness. Um, and even like you know varying from night to night. Sometimes you're in the mood for like a game that's like a little more mellow, you know, a little more of like you know a chess type game. And sometimes like you want a game that's gonna like get you up and get you, you know, that requires you to like stand up and do silly things for the amusement of others. Yeah. Have we talked about our legendary charades games on the podcast over the years? We must have. I think they may have been alluded to. Yeah. So, I mean, I might as well trot that out now because I think this is a great example, which is that this very group that is on this podcast now, over the course of a a bunch of years during our summer gatherings, uh, would play games of charades against each other. And we all know each other very well. We've been very good friends for a long time. We talk about pop culture and stuff all the time. We share a ton of library of references. And so the charades clues would have to be just incredibly difficult. 
difficult uh, in, for the charades to take very long. I remember one one uh, charades clue where, like, you know, Jordan Stokes, you know, jumped around waving his hands, and I immediately knew it was American Tale Two: Five Goes West <laughs> because of like the way he gestured. The- right? It's like, oh yeah, there's the cowboy hat. I know that jump. Like, I'm familiar with that jump from that movie. Um, the, the one, the one that uh, that impressed me most was uh, someone. I think someone did like shaving, or no, uh, sorry, someone pointed at their crotch and uh, got dick sounds like Nick, and yeah. uh, and Tim Kleiman immediately called out Nickelodeon ethics, and yeah. I thought that that was like oh, that was good God. charades play right yeah. there, definitely. Yeah. We'll be great is, on Hollywood game night. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, these charades games had to come to a close because we all started bringing in other people from our lives to these meetings because we wanted to share these social gatherings with people we cared about with other people that we cared about, you know, significant others, wives of people, husbands of people and stuff. And the outsiders were just horrified with what they encountered. My, my, just... my girlfriend was traumatized by our, by our charades game. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's just like people crying because they open a card and all it says is skeet, 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 skeet. You know, it's a really easy clue to do charades. We're all thinking of like eight different ways to do that. Yeah, or 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 the one the one card that said www.overthinkingit.com on the charades. <laughs> Just like what is that? I, I, so, so I once had to do the entire second verse, the entire second verse for America the Beautiful. Yeah, I think Matt rather wrote the clue. Oh, beautiful for to, pilgrims' feet who stormed in passion stress a thoroughfare for fr- freedom beat across the wilderness. America, America, may God thy gold refine till all success is nobleness and every gain divine. No, 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 you messed it up. No, it's America, America, God mend thine every flaw. Okay, confirm thy soul and self control, thy liberty in law. Well, not that easy, Matt. Oh, you see? Well, it's easier than the other one. (laughs) And then there was, of course, the famous one where it was that entire... Paragraph from the Wu Tang. That that was me. I got I got that. Yeah, I got that. I got that that clue, and it was represent the Jizz of the Rizza, old dirty bastard, Raekwon the chef. I I mean, I don't even remember all of them. Um, Like, and the thing is that, like, in this group, you have hope because, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about before about like groups that self select. Like, game nights tend to be about whether you're sort of, I guess, now this is a new idea self-selecting that the people that you're with are going to all want to play this game that they have in common. So you want kind of an inward-facing game about the things that people share, or you yeah, want, like... It reaffirms out- the things that make you, like, a good group of friends, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or you want an outward-facing um, an outward-facing game, an inward-facing game, and an outward, not an inward-facing game, an inward-facing game, and an outward-facing game, where we're inviting people who aren't part of our circle, that we are not really so much trying to reinforce the circle as we are to sort of like cast out I don't know what nets or ropes or whatever to sort of see what sort of shape we come up with when we define the social group that we're currently with. Are we convening? Are we assembling a new set of Avengers with this game night? And should we keep it in, keep that in mind when we select the games that we're playing? Right. Well, you're basically suggesting that a game night can be sort of an audition or sort of a, a, a way to way to sort of cut to the chase about like whether somebody is compatible, and therefore like our, our significant others were right to freak out when we when we threw them into the deep end of that particular pool, <laughs> because that like although like we perhaps don't judge them harshly for for not competing a given charades clue, if they had risen to that occasion, we would have we would have uh, that would have been worth something. Yeah, it's terrible. It's an actual, absolutely terrible thing to do a human being that you supposedly love. Why would you do that? To <laughs> but I totally know what you're talking about. What? Give the give the give them the chance to amaze you. 
What's so terrible about that? <laughs> you don't want to hold them hostage, but um, I like because they're also all these they's that we're talking about are probably all going to listen to this podcast and all going to have opinions on it that are pretty strong. And I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Um, in I fact, just, like, I just want to say, make it a little bit more personal. Uh, I will. I will pose this. I played a game of Scrabble with my girlfriend the other day. Um, I'm not going to talk about how it went. But I will. I will leave it as an exercise to the listener. Why don't you summarize how you think the game of Scrabble went between me and my girlfriend? Oh, Pete, I've, I've, in the comments of this podcast. I've played words words with friends with you. I know how that game of Scrabble oh, yeah, yeah. went. I'm. Oh my. I goodness. used to play words with friends with Pete. Let's put it that way. Right. You know what? I deleted words with friends from my phone rather than have to subject myself to playing it with Pete Fenzel, who, who pwned me with such regularity that it almost made me wish pwned was a word that you could play in Words with Friends, words with friends. on your you phone. Took, you took the coward's way out of Words with Friends. <laughs> I don't play it anymore. It's very unpleasant. It's very unpleasant. Well. I don't want to win, but I can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that to people? Why are we doing this to people? That's a, so great, un- <laughs> that's a great basis. That's a great motto for a relationship. I don't want to exactly. win, but I can't lose. Oh, game night's so harrowing sometimes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I have, I have a tent. Going back to something that you said earlier, P, because I was intrigued by the sort of Game of Thrones game, because I don't actually, I can't actually recall a lot of TV shows that have led the, lend themselves to, to board games that are actually worth playing. I do recall as a child, I had the full house board game, and it was not very fun at all. <laughs> yes, yes. There's, apparently, there's, apparently, there's apparently a Law & Order board game, which you think would be brilliant and really easily workable, but I've heard it's terrible. Um, so I've never played it. But it does. I sort of wonder, like in this day and age when we expect TV shows to be sort of nuanced and and uh, multi layered, that are there more TV shows that would lend themselves very well to sort of a strategy game? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm there's, sort of a, like, there's a very good. There's a very good, very well known Battlestar Galactica board game about the new Battlestar Galactica reboot. Um, like a turn-based, is that like a Settlers of Catan sort of resource management? Uh, I think it has, I've never played it, but I think it has sort of a mafia element where you don't know which of the players are Cylons. Oh, so, oh, yeah. that's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's one of the famous, the Game of Thrones one and the Battlestar Galactica one are the ones I know of as especially famous. I, of course, had something we have talked about, which is the, the Klingon Challenge Star Trek The Next Generation oh, video yeah. board game. Where it was like the VHS tape where you have to fast forward or rewind to very specific points. <laughs> yes, and the Klingon yells at you from the the set of the bridge of the Enterprise when they were. Please let that be J.K. Simmons. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that'd be spectacular. That would, that be, spectacular. would be perfect. But Star Wars and Star Trek don't really count. Like, are you saying should there be like a like uh, the like closer Breaking Bad? Let's say Breaking Bad. Rocks the board game. Let's see. Let's see. Is there a true detective board game? (laughs) (laughs) Have they already made it? Oh, man. Uh, There's a bunch that comes up, but it's mostly for, wow. It came up with the, the 1979 board game Benji. Which is apparently rare and based on the dog. I don't know why Google thought that's what I was looking for. But oh, I, had a, I had a Benji lunchbox when I was growing up, and I've never seen any Benji in my life. Uh, it's the Benji detective game because he's a so, detective dog. Guys, I Googled uh, Breaking Bad board game and reliably enough came up with a Monopoly spinoff of Breaking Bad, which is aptly titled Methopoly. 
<laughs> well, there you wow. go. Did you? I mean, is there, is there anything that Monopoly will not license its its layout? No, I don't think this for? is official. This, this has to be a fan creation. Do you guys have the Monopoly supermarket oh, thing happening right now, where the the Monopoly is giving you prizes at the grocery store for buying things? It's like, like, it's like supermarket really, sweep, but with a Monopoly twist. Uh, no, it's sort of like a Monopoly game from McDonald's, but without a board. It's just like really confusing. Uh, well, not confusing. It's very anticlimactic. It's like, did you win? Did you get Park Place? Nope. Or whatever. I don't know. Um, it's a lot less fun than the Rachel Ray free plate giveaway that they were doing, which I was a big fan of. I had like 600 of those tickets, and I got my free free coffee cups. Oh, boy. Yeah, how many did you, how many did you get for, for 600 tickets? Three. Nice. <laughs> 200 a ticket. Yeah. No, it was actually it was 60 tickets. It was 20 tickets per free thing. And each ticket represented $10 spent at the grocery store over a period of a long period of time. So um, it was an incentive. I guess you guys yeah. don't have these kinds of grocery store incentives. There, there, was like- one, there was one at the grocery store near me for a, th- for a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, yeah. So, guys, I have, a, I have exciting news to share. There is apparently an actual licensed uh, Downton Abbey board game. Woohoo! Uh, that you can buy. And you know it's it's genuine because you have to buy it from the UK Amazon store and pay in pounds <laughs> and have it delivered. Um, the, the bullet points uh, say, uh, based on the popular TV series, explore three floors of the Abbey, play as maid or footman to complete task, <laughs> detail artwork. <laughs> and the description as a maid or footman you have to complete the test you're given as quickly and efficiently as possible starting at the servants hall each player is dealt destination cards which have varying values indicated by the number of bells on the card <laughs> um, it's, so it's wow. literally it's crazy taxis basically what it is. <laughs> I was really hoping it was made by games workshop and it's like in the grim dark future <laughs> there is only breakfast right like and it's like hello <laughs> the emperor, the the Earl of Grantham, the you know, the Earl of Grantham is in, on his golden throne and his uh, imperial or his earldom Yorkshire uh, soldiers, super squad marines. Do you have to? There. Do you have to like hide the body of the Turkish diplomat? <laughs> I think one? that's a game all itself. I think that's its own play, <laughs> home game. <laughs> oh man. Along the way, the player can land on a Carson card space and have to take a card, which can either help or hinder them. How, as if, those of you who are recapping Downton Abbey, how realistic does this seem? Also, it says not suitable for children under 36 months. <laughs> under three to six months? <laughs> no, it's 36 months. Oh, well, six, yeah, I looked at it and like, your two-year-olds are probably going to want to... They're going to need to be a little older to play the Downton Abbey board game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can't just have them chewing on the, chewing on the you know, Mrs. Hughes sewing machine. Or, uh, sorry, if you ba- want to Baxter, it, Baxter has a sewing machine. If you want to see a baby at Downton Abbey, you're going to have to wait until season five, people, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bit of a spoiler, but I don't think one that's going to lessen your enjoyment of the show. <laughs> oh, there, is, there are babies at this at Downton Abbey now, but there are not hilarious Nazi babies. What? Okay, we'll wait for it. You know, I, I think there's a version of Downton Abbey where they've removed the hilarious Nazi baby and replaced it with J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I suppose we should cross promote and say Pete is Pete is referring to our. Uh, uh, overthinking it TV recaps of the current season of Downton Abbey, which ends tonight as we record this. It's actually ending as we speak uh, yes. on PBS r- right now, right this very second. And instead yes. of that, we are podcasting. Well, this yes. has been a very fun game night, guys. <laughs> 
I hope I haven't said incriminating things that will make all my relationships in the world fall apart. Uh, yes, but, you know, I, I, I just want to say, sweetie, I'm very sorry that I subjected you to charades with my friends. I will never do such a thing again. And I would just yeah. like to say, sweetie, I'm not sorry for having won um, uh, Sutter's like a Tan the last time we played. I'm going to say that unitard is totally a word. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to suggest Scrabble words or uh, say anything about what we've said, you can uh, leave your comments in uh, the podcast, uh, the podcast show notes, uh, the show notes for this episode. I would like to thank um, uh, Log or Logue. I'm sorry, I don't know how to how to pronounce it. From uh, 40.67 degrees north, 73.95 degrees west, who actually sent an email to the email that no one ever emails with the subject line, the email no one ever emails. And, and we'll cue that up for the listener feedback show real soon now. Um, so uh, if you want to email the email that no one ever emails, it's podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can also call the number that no one ever calls. That's 203-285-6401 to leave a voicemail or send a text message uh, to 203-285-6401. We uh, will take your suggestions for J.K. Simmons videos, for Scrabble words, for charades clues, uh, including the most uh, the most fiendish charades clue. Uh, there was one specific call out. What what were we asking for in the comments? I, for, I forget it now. Oh, how you thought my Scrabble game with my girlfriend went. Right. Absolutely. Who is awesome, who is awesome and very smart and no slouch. So don't assume that you know how it ends just because of things that have been said on the podcast. Okay. So uh, so Peter Fenzel, Scrabble slash fiction, is welcome, <laughs> the, is welcome in the comments on the show notes also. We will be back with more of this show next week. Until then, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve it. So now, should we say what this new J.K. Simmons TV show is about? Yeah, yeah, totally. A typical family in the middle of a divorce. Two kids, mom, dad, and guide dog. Oh, and dad's blind. What? What?